All right, if you would please stand. And uh, I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Show page, find on page 856. It'd be good if you have the Bible open in front of you. So we look at this section together. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45 on page 856 in the Pew Bible. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Sovereign God, just as you sent the Holy Spirit powerfully upon Elizabeth, would you please send the Holy Spirit powerfully upon us? Open our ears and our hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Please do have the Bible open in front of you. I'm going to be making a couple of references uh, And it'd be so helpful if you had it in front of you. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Uh, Let me once again wish you a happy Advent. This is the third Sunday of Advent. Uh, Thank you to the Hargroves for uh, a lovely uh, lighting of the uh, Advent wreath candles. uh, Meant to remind us of what Advent is pointing us towards. And it's wonderful that today is the Sunday of joy. Because what we're going to be thinking about today is rejoicing. We're going to be thinking a lot about the joy we have in the hope of Jesus. Um, The uh, section we're looking at, verses 39 to 45, has an interesting heading, Mary Visits Elizabeth. And uh, if there was ever an understated ESV heading, that's one of them. Uh, Mary Visits Elizabeth. It doesn't sound all that dramatic, but once you dig into it a little bit, you realize how dramatic, how important this little section is, just a few verses, but so important for so many reasons, and I hope you see as we go along why it's so important, what we read about, what we discover here in Luke's gospel in this little uh, otherwise undramatic section. Let me remind you where we've been so far. Luke begins his gospel with the angel Gabriel dramatically appearing to a priest named Zechariah, who was, we are told, advanced in years. We're not told exactly how old he was, but he was still young enough to be serving in the temple. There were age restrictions. So he wasn't uh, extremely old, but he was advanced in years. He was beyond the age that you would ordinarily be starting your family. Um, the angel foretells uh, to Zechariah the conception and the birth of his son, whom he was told to name John, a name which was not part of his family. That wasn't a name that they ordinarily used, but the angel said, you'll name your son John. 
Um, that's Luke chapter one through chapter one, verse one through twenty-five. Uh, the woman Elizabeth, who is uh, miraculously pregnant, uh, has only one line in that section. In verse twenty-five, she says, "Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people." That's her only line so far, and it focuses on why it was such a blessing that she was getting ready to have a baby. There were a lot of reasons that the angel had mentioned, a lot of things that we'll discover about her son. But one of the reasons which she focuses on at this point is it took away a sense of reproach she felt in her community. I mentioned before that in the ancient world, there was no such thing as a social security system. Uh, There weren't life insurance policies. There weren't savings accounts that we think of today. So a widow would be very vulnerable, very exposed. And so she was grateful as she responds to what's going on around her, including in her own body. She's grateful that God has been merciful to her as a person. Otherwise, according to verse 24, Elizabeth, to this point, keeps herself hidden. We're not told a lot about her to this point, except that she was someone who, like her husband, was righteous in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 26, the angel Gabriel goes to Nazareth and brings another announcement, even more miraculous, to a virgin named Mary. Verse 31 says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is a busy season for Gabriel. He's going all over the place delivering these miraculous messages. Um, Mary asked the angel a very understandable question, all things considered. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? A Parthenon, we learned last week, the Greek word for virgin is Parthenon, like the famous building in Athens, uh, which was dedicated to Athena, the virgin goddess, uh, the Parthenon. That's, that comes from the word for virgin. It's not just a young woman. Uh, Every once in a while you'll bump into some scholar who rejoices in telling us that the Greek word for virgin means young woman, and that is true, but in the context of that culture and that time and, and what we read here about Mary, young woman meant young woman who had never been with a man. Uh, She actually focuses on this when she engages with the angel. She doesn't focus on her age. She focuses on the miracle of her having a child at all. How will this be since I am a virgin? You may not recognize the name John Shelby Spong. Some of you may. Um, He was a very influential Episcopal bishop when I was in seminary. Uh, He was the bishop of Newark, New Jersey. And Bishop Spong wrote a a book called Born of a Woman, A Bishop Rethinks the Virgin Birth. And uh, it was a very interesting book. It It was scandalous in its day because a bishop of the church was writing to deny, in effect, the reality of the virgin birth of Jesus. He was rethinking it. That's what he meant by rethinking it. That is, to deny it. It's a very, very interesting book. Very, very interesting time. And in his day, Bishop Spong was extremely influential. He he became the talk of the town among theologians and in theological circles, maybe especially in the Episcopal Church, but beyond the Episcopal Church. He had a wide audience, including many people who weren't churchgoers at all. 
And uh, that was Bishop Spong's ministry. Uh, when I was in seminary, he actually attended the same seminary I went to. That's not something I'm particularly proud of, but it's a fact. Just like Phillips Brooks and I went to the same seminary, I'm prouder of that fact. The one who wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem, he and I went to the same seminary too. But Bishop Spong was a prominent graduate of the seminary where I went, and he frequently visited the seminary where I went, where he had a group of people who listened to him very carefully and were influenced by what he had to say. And the the core of what he had to say was, well, I'm sorry to have to paraphrase him like this, but it really simply says, the virgin birth can't be true because that's not how babies are made. And I remember thinking in 1992... Uh, duh. <laughs> um, I was single and I wasn't the most uh, knowledgeable person in the world, but even I knew that babies aren't ordinarily conceived and born the way Jesus was conceived and born. No, in fact, the very point of the virgin birth is that's how, not how babies are ordinarily made. It was unique. It was so extraordinary and so unique that it's actually written down in the pages of the Bible for us. It's not something we see every day. And in fact, it's only happened once. This baby was unique, so unique that an angel from heaven, God's right-hand man, it's kind of what the name Gabriel means. He was the enforcer. He, he came with a message for Elizabeth, first of all, and then for Mary. That's how unique, how extraordinary this message was. Does not take a bishop to explain how babies are customarily made. And apparently Mary also knows how babies are customarily made. That's the whole point of her question. How will this be? That question makes no sense apart from the fact that she knew this was not the way babies are made. Just like we know, that's not how it usually happens. And yet, that's exactly what God announced he was about to do. So Mary, this young woman, we're we're not told exactly how young she was, but she could have been anywhere from 13, 14, 15, 16, a very young girl, betrothed to Joseph, but not yet married to Joseph. So all of this brings us to verse 39. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Let's stop for a second. My first point, I'm going to forgive me some of these Titles are a little, little funny. I'm going to label this first point, Rejoicing Babies. I'm a big fan of babies. I love babies. I've got five grandchildren across the hall. My wife's over there helping to look after them. I love babies. Um, and babies have been very much on my mind uh, this past couple of weeks. Um, babies are in the news again. In fact, uh, the Greek word used here is brephos, which is a synonym for the word fetus. Um, fetuses are in the news today. Um, you might have been following, as I have, recent news out of Washington. The United States Supreme Court has, it seems, been hearing several very important cases having to do with babies and fetuses. Uh, I don't know if you, how closely you paid attention, but I've been following very closely, almost obsessively, trying to figure out what's going on and what's going to happen. 
Uh, there are two extremely important cases. One that had a ruling just the other day, just a day or two ago, and one for which they recently took the opening arguments. And they, they've got similar names. They sometimes get a little confused. One case is called Whole Women's Health versus Jackson. That's a case involving Texas, a law passed by the state legislature. And the other case for which they heard opening arguments is called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Both have the name Jackson in them. Totally different Jacksons. The one in, in uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization is, involves Mississippi, where I'm from. So it kind of grabbed my attention on multiple levels. Both of these cases have to do with babies. And this chapter, in its own way, sheds a lot of light on babies and how babies are involved in God's eternal plan. And a great deal to say about rejoicing babies. And what does it mean for a baby to rejoice? What, what significance does that have? Well, the debate over abortion between those who are pro-choice and those who are pro-life is one that has gripped our country for decades, for decades since the Supreme Court made an initial ruling, which you all know about, Roe v. Wade, having to do with Texas. That case originated in Texas. And our country, our society has been wrestling with that issue, the balancing of the rights of women and the rights of babies. And we've been going back and forth and back and forth, and legislatures have gotten involved. And there was a case called Casey, which uh, refined the Supreme Court's viewpoint. And our country, our society has been just wrapped up in this ongoing struggle, this ongoing debate. Well, the interesting thing this Sunday morning is this question is more alive today and, and a more focused point of discussion today than in a generation. Uh, the Supreme Court seems poised to make some very significant decisions. In fact, they've already made one decision involving Texas. It was a funny kind of hybrid decision having to do with uh, Whole Women's Health. That's an abortion clinic uh, down in Austin. Uh, they, they heard the case, and uh, the, the Texas law was being challenged, and the Supreme Court uh, ruled that the law could stand. Uh, but they allowed the ongoing challenges to the law to continue as well. So it's sort of a half answer. Keeps the question alive, but uh, sort of in the meantime rules that the Texas law, applying to the state of Texas, will stand. Very interesting debate. The, the next ruling, which they anticipate later this year, or later next year in June sometime perhaps, uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, again, a very important debate. And there is speculation that the U.S. Supreme Court might possibly weigh in for the first time in many, many years. And, and even the possibility that they will make a different course, they will go a different direction, uh, if you're praying about things like governments and Supreme Courts, I'd pray for them to have great wisdom and great courage. You know, you will never hear me in this pulpit endorsing a political candidate or a political party. That's not my job here in the church. You're on your own there. But let me give you notice right now. I am 
from the tip of my toes to the top of my head, pro-life. I believe with all my heart that what we're reading here in Luke chapter 1 actually describes life. This baby inside Elizabeth and the baby inside Mary, they are human beings with destinies and significance. And that's still true today. Babies in their mommy's tummies have a future, a destiny, a God-given purpose. Now, Elizabeth's baby and Mary's baby have unique purposes. But you know what? I think every baby has a purpose that God has intended. And he knows that purpose right now. In fact, he knew it before the baby was conceived. So he could announce it before the baby was conceived. He already knew what that life would signify. And it's so striking to me at a season like this, in the midst of a debate like this in our country, in our culture, that the very first person, the very first human being to respond to Jesus is a fetus. It is a baby. When Elizabeth met Mary, it was the baby within her who leaped for joy. What a, what a picture that is. The very first person recorded in the Gospel of Luke to respond to the promise, the hope of the gospel, all that Jesus had come to do, all that we're going to be remembering at this table in a minute, the very first person we read about to respond was a baby, an unborn child within its mommy's tummy. Isn't that crazy to think about, Avery? That baby responded, first of all. I love that picture of all of life rejoicing in who Jesus is. And that that baby, little John, before he was born, praised, rejoiced in Jesus. Life and God's concern for human beings, even before we are born, all the way back to conception and before that, all of that is the place where God is at work. It's the place where God maps out destinies and maps out his purposes for the world. And so this chapter describes these rejoicing babies, rejoicing babies, rejoicing in Christ. I'm praying there will be a lot of rejoicing babies. Secondly, rejoicing mommies. Look at uh, verse 41b. It says, Elizabeth whose baby's just been leaping for joy. That, that must have been very uncomfortable. Uh, uh, Mary uh, is, uh, is here, and Elizabeth, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And you'll notice the ESV editors inserted an exclamation point. I don't think Greek has an exclamation point, but you get the picture. Elizabeth responds in the same way that her baby has responded. 
Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then verse 43, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And here, mommy is rejoicing as well. If baby John in his mommy's tummy is the first person we read about who responds with rejoicing to the news of Jesus, to the person of Jesus, if that that was John, the first person to give voice, the first person to use words, is John's mother, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the first person Luke tells us about who responds with with these words. And it's amazing how much she has grasped. We're not told a lot about their conversation. We're just told Mary goes with haste to this place where she meets Elizabeth down near Bethlehem, actually. The place tradition tells us where Elizabeth lived was not that far from Bethlehem. So Mary came all the way down from Bethlehem. from Nazareth, traveled all the way down past Jerusalem, uh, past Bethlehem to the place where John the Baptist is said to have lived. That may well have been where this all happened. We're just told she did it speedily. It may have taken her three or four days for Mary to make her way to see Elizabeth. We're not told a lot about their conversation, but we do know this. Elizabeth grasped this much. The baby, the miraculous baby that Mary was about to give birth to, that baby, Elizabeth knew, was her Lord. Mommies. Mommies in the room. Let me give a shout out to all mommies. It was a mommy who filled with the Holy Spirit put two and two together in a way that she understood Somehow, to some degree, that the baby in Mary wasn't just any other wonderful baby. This baby was the Lord. You know, we, we sometimes throw the word Lord around a little bit. It's gotten a little confused in our culture. Um, but to a Jew, Lord is a very important word because Lord is what the Jews called God. They didn't say God's name. They were taught they, that name was too holy to say. But what they used and said, that instead, the word that emphasized the accessibility of God was Lord, Adonai. He, he, was, he was the Lord. And Elizabeth grasped that that baby was the Lord, my Lord, a deeply personal relationship. That Elizabeth grasps. Now just picture this scene. Elizabeth's in advanced years. She's an older woman. She's married to a priest. She's nearing the end of her life. Now she's got this miraculous baby, but she's older. And in comes this very young girl, 13, 14, 15, 16. And in that culture where age was very important, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, recognized who the baby was. And she rejoiced. Blessed are you among women, she shouts. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, she shouts. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Rejoicing mommies. 
I am so grateful for Rejoicing Mommies. Uh, this afternoon when we gather at 5 o'clock here for our children's Christmas pageant, let me assure you there will be a whole bunch of Rejoicing Mommies. <laughs> uh, many of them making sure their sheep and shepherds and angels and other characters do what they're supposed to do. Uh, mommies often spend a lot of time making sure their kids do what they're supposed to do, and you can be assured there'll be mommies doing that today. But you know the other thing you can be assured of? There will be mommies rejoicing in Christ. There will be mommies in this room who, with all the power they have, seek to teach their little ones about Jesus. That was the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth, and I believe with all my heart that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our mommies too. The Holy Spirit who entrusts this ministry to sinful, ordinary women. You don't have to have a theology degree to be a mommy. But God entrusts this unique ministry to mommies. And they help their little ones to grow up to know Jesus and to call him blessed and to walk with him. You know, in the big scheme of things, there is no more important job in the world than being a mother. And there's no greater privilege than a mommy sharing the good news of Jesus with her little ones. And it's not something that happens in one specific conversation. There might be a conversation or two that stands out. But it's over a lifetime. It's, it's, it's a lifetime. And that's what happens to Mary. That's what happens to Mary. This young woman was the one to whom God entrusted his only son. Rejoicing mommies. I am so grateful for rejoicing mommies. Let's remember them this holiday season. And then the passage wraps up in verse 45. This is how Elizabeth concludes what she has to say. Elizabeth hasn't had much to say until now, but she has a lot to say right now. This is what she says. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We saw last week that Mary, who was a very ordinary woman, had questions. She had a very understandable, very logical question. She had questions that she brought to the angel. She's not reprimanded for having questions. What we're told here is that she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. She didn't have all the answers. She didn't know how it was all going to work. She, she didn't know everything that she would like to have known. She had a whole life in front of her. All she had was this promise. She had this promise. And the thing is, she believed that promise, that unique, once-in-all-time promise. So Mary's role here is absolutely unique. But there's another sense in which what Mary does is so ordinary that every single one of us has the same opportunity to do, in a sense, what Mary does. In that sense, she's not only every woman, she's not only every person, she's every Christian. And that's why the last point is rejoicing 
in hope. You see, the thing you and I share is a hope. I'll quote John Piper again. I've quoted him every Sunday. John Piper writes, Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. Well, you have a choice today to believe God or not to believe him. You have a choice today to put your hope in his promise or not to put your hope in his promise. Let me tell you, the world... The world has decided not to put its hope in God's promise. I mean, in the debate over abortion and life, there's Supreme Court justices who think theology, talk about those things, has no place in the debate. So actually, a judge who said that, this, is, this, is, this has no place in this discussion. There are people who think that way about that issue and every other issue. Increasingly, what we think about God, which is pretty foundational to what we think about everything, it's being pushed to the side. It's irrelevant. Now, we have a choice to put our hope and our trust, our confidence in God's promise today. Mary had that choice. Elizabeth had that choice. Zechariah had that choice. You and I have that choice. How will we respond? Will we respond like Zechariah did? Will we respond the way he's presented as a man of faith, but who couldn't remember the hope he had and, and sort of doubted what God had to say? Or will we be like Mary, who though she had questions, though she didn't know everything she wanted to know, put her hope, her trust in God's promise? Now, why that's so important during Advent? We're about to celebrate Christmas. But Christmas invites us to look beyond the stable and beyond the manger, beyond the pageant, into eternity. See, the promise of God is not only that Jesus would be born, which he was, but that he will come again. That he will come again. And, and our privilege is to rejoice in that promise to trust that promise, to believe that promise. Yes, we have questions, but we believe that promise and we, we want to build our lives around that promise. And every church year begins with an invitation once again to put our trust, our hope, our confidence in God and his promises as we await the return of Jesus. Born in a manger, coming again in glory. Advent is a time every year to reflect on the promise that Jesus will come again. And when we gather at this table, Paul, who is writing about this supper, he says, he says, do this as often as you will do it in remembrance of Jesus. And as we do that, we're awaiting Christ's return. The same baby that was born in Bethlehem, who died on the cross, he is coming again. And the Lord's Supper points beyond our experience of the here and now into the great eternal promise of hope in Christ. So when we come forward, it's not only to say thank you for what Jesus has done, it's also on the basis of that to look with hope at what Jesus will do and is doing and has promised to accomplish.